Welcome to Music History Monday for September 20th, 2021. I'm Bob Greenberg, and the title for today's podcast is Finland, Jean Sibelius, and the Case of the Missing Symphony. If you haven't already, please consider joining me on my subscription site at patreon.com slash robertgreenbergmusic, where I blog, vlog, podcast, pontificate, review, and bloviate four to six times a week. We mark the death on September 20th, 1957, 64 years ago today, of the Finnish composer Jean Sibelius in Jarvenpa, Finland. Born on December 8, 1865, in Hamilina, Finland, Sibelius was 91 years old when he died. Scandinavia. Scandinavia is the Canada of Europe, a huge, climactically challenged area of extraordinary beauty that has produced an artistic community the breadth and depth of which is way out of proportion with its relatively small population. Of course, the cynic might suggest that in such northern climes, where it's so dark and so cold and you have to stay indoors for so much of the year, there are just so many things you can do after you've eaten, slept, drank, and reproduced, and playing a round of golf in February is not one of them, thus encouraging, perhaps, the production of art. Certainly, Scandinavia is a vast environment of physical extremes that challenges both the body and the soul, an environment that encourages reflection and contemplation. Scandinavia consists of the countries of Iceland, Norway, Sweden, Finland, and Denmark. Iceland is the westernmost European state, an island nation with a total population of around 357,000, almost exactly the same size as Cleveland, Ohio. Denmark is the southernmost of the Scandinavian countries, with a current population of roughly 5.2 million people. It shares a roughly 50-mile border with Germany and is, as a result, that Scandinavian country most influenced by German art and culture. Norway lies northwest of Denmark. It has a current population of approximately 4.5 million people. Despite the fact that physically, Norway is roughly 10 times the size of Denmark, it remained predominantly Danish and therefore German in cultural sympathy through the beginning of the 19th century. Sweden, immediately to the east of Norway, is both the largest and most populous Scandinavian country. At 173,648 square miles, it's more than 20,000 square miles larger than California. With about 8.5 million people, its population is about the size of the San Francisco Bay Area. Sweden was a great power in the 17th and 18th centuries, but it cultivated no music tradition of its own. Finally, Finland, the northeasternmost of the Scandinavian countries, with a current population of about 5.2 million, shares a roughly 400-mile border with Russia. Over the centuries, Finland's cultural orbit 
has vacillated back and forth between Sweden and Russia, depending upon who was the occupying power at any given moment in time. Altogether, the Scandinavian countries boast a landmass ten times larger than New York State, and a total population roughly the size of the New York City metropolitan area. It goes without saying that there's a lot of empty space in Scandinavia. It is easy enough to list the preeminent Scandinavian composers of the late 18th and early 19th centuries, Johann Agrel, Johann Berlin, and Josef Krauss in the 18th century, the Norwegian Niels Gade, the Danes Johann Hartmann and Johann Svensson, and the Swedes Adolf Lindblad and Franz Berwald in the 19th century. What all these composers had in common was that their music was based on German-slash-Austrian models, and with the exception of Berwald, who lived from 1796 to 1868, their music has remained obscure outside of Scandinavia. And poor Franz Berwald. In his own lifetime, his music remained obscure even in Scandinavia. Born in Stockholm, Sweden in 1796 to German parents, he became so frustrated with his inability to secure a decent position as a composer that he packed it in and moved to northern Sweden, where he became the manager of a sawmill and a glassworks. The spirit of nationalism that swept through so much of Europe in the years after 1848 swept through Scandinavia as well. And this is where our story begins. Four Scandinavian composers emerged, each of whom is now recognized as the singular parental unit of his respective national musical tradition. In Norway, Edvard Grieg. In Sweden, Hugo Alvin. In Denmark, Carl Nielsen. And in Finland, Jean Sibelius, 1865-1957. Finland. With a total population of 5.5 million people, Finland has precisely the same population as Greater Barcelona, Spain, which is ranked as the 47th most populous city in the world. The difference, of course, is one of density. Metropolitan Barcelona's population is spread out across 1,648 square miles, while Finland's population is spread out across 130,666 square miles, making it one of the most sparsely populated nations in the world. Despite its small population, though, Finland has produced an extraordinarily disproportionate number of important musicians and composers. We are reminded here of the lopsided number of great baseball players from the Dominican Republic, sprinters from Jamaica, marathoners from Kenya, pizza joints in North Jersey. The issue is one of national culture and a love for high culture the Finns have in spades. Theirs is a national emphasis on the arts and arts education that is, rightly so, the envy of the planet. Jean Sibelius, 1865 to 1957. A very long life has its pleasures 
and its drawbacks. Chief among those drawbacks is watching your contemporaries die off and the world in which you matured disappear. Such was the case with Jean Sibelius, who was born eight months after the end of the American Civil War, at a time when Hector Berlioz, Richard Wagner, and Franz Liszt were actively concertizing, when the 32-year-old Johannes Brahms had not a whisker on his cheeks and Gustav Mahler was five years old. Sibelius's formative environment was that of Victorian Europe. His musical voice was that of 19th century romanticism and musical nationalism. When he died on September 20th, 1957, two weeks before the launch of Sputnik 1, President Dwight D. Eisenhower was in his second term. Elvis Presley was busting the charts and the ultra-modern music of Milton Babbitt, Karl Heinz Stockhausen, and Pierre Boulez was all the rage. Romanticism and nationalism? By 1957, romanticism and nationalism were nothing but chapter headings in music appreciation textbooks. Sibelius was born in the small town of Hamilina in south-central Finland, 60 miles north of Finland's capital city of Helsinki. He studied violin as a teenager and for a time aspired to a career as a violin virtuoso. However, his family had other plans for him, as our families so often do, and in 1885, at the age of 20, he was enrolled as a student of law at the University of Helsinki. The law student thing, well, it didn't last for very long. Within a year, he had abandoned any pretense to a legal career and had become a serious student of music composition. Two years of study abroad in Berlin and then Vienna rounded out his education, and he returned to Finland in 1891 at the age of 26. He returned to a country in the midst of great political turmoil, and that political turmoil was to shape forever Sibelius's artistic reason to be. Some background. Sibelius was born into an ethnically Swedish family there in South Central, that is, South Central Finland. The family name, Sibelius, is of Swedish origin, and the family spoke Swedish at home. It wasn't until he was 11 years old that Sibelius was enrolled in a Finnish-speaking grammar school, and he didn't master the language until he was a young man. Now, this might seem odd, especially when we consider that Sibelius was a great Finnish patriot. But when we consider the imperial realities of Europe over the centuries, well, it's not so very odd at all. For example, Biedrich Smetna, 1824-1884, the so-called father of Czech music, was born in Bohemia, which was, at the time of his birth in 1824, part of the Austrian Empire. Smetna grew up speaking German and only learned to speak Czech, and then imperfectly, as an adult. Gustav Mahler and Sigmund Freud, two other rather famous native Bohemians, grew up speaking German and considered themselves culturally German. It's significant that neither Mahler nor Freud ever learned to speak Czech, and ultimately both of them settled in Vienna and not in Prague. Finland 
which had been part of the Swedish Empire since the 13th century, was culturally in orbit around Sweden, just as Bohemia was in orbit around Austria, which explains why Sibelius grew up speaking Swedish. Politically, if not linguistically, things changed for Finland in 1808, thanks to Napoleon Bonaparte and the Russians. In 1807, Napoleon and Tsar Alexander I signed the Treaty of Tilsit, which freed Russia to invade Finland. Russia did so the following year, in 1808, effectively ending the 600-year political relationship between Sweden and Finland. Finland became an autonomous duchy of the Russian Empire. For most of the 19th century, the Russians left the Finns alone, more or less. But during the 1870s and 1880s, a Finnish nationalist movement slowly but surely gathered steam. By the 1890s, the Tsarist authorities felt compelled to crush the Finnish upstarts and by doing so, make an example of them for their own domestic troublemakers. Censorship and political repression followed, and it was into this environment that Sibelius returned to Finland from school abroad in 1891, prepared to do battle for Finnish nationalism and the Finnish language, which had come to represent Finnish nationalism. In 1892, at the age of 27, Sibelius composed a huge cantata for chorus and orchestra entitled Kulervo, based on the Finnish national epic Kalevala. Such patriotic works as Karelia and Finlandia followed, which cemented not only Sibelius's status as Finland's leading composer, but his reputation as a great Finnish patriot and an artist of international celebrity, someone de facto untouchable by the Russian authorities. Sibelius composed the first of his seven symphonies in 1899, immediately after having completed Finlandia. He completed his seventh symphony in 1924, and then what turned out to be his last major work, the symphonic poem Tapiola in 1926. In 1926, Sibelius was 61 years old and at the very height of his fame. Difficult though it might be for us to fathom today, he was in the years between the world wars, between roughly 1918 and 1939, the most famous and beloved of all living orchestral composers. In 1919, Sibelius began shaving his head, and by 1926, his square, granitic head perched atop his square, granitic body, his hand clutching an ever-present cigar, was a familiar image to music lovers everywhere. He was an emotional and spiritually lonely man, despite being the married patriarch of a large family. He was an alcoholic and nicotine freak and a cancer survivor throat cancer, miraculously cured by surgery in 1908 when he was 43 years old. Years later, the hard-drinking, hard-smoking, hard-living Sibelius observed that, quote, all the doctors who wanted to forbid me to smoke and to drink are dead, unquote. Back to 1926. 
Sometime during the next year or two, Sibelius began his Symphony No. 8, completing it in 1929. Given his phenomenal popularity at the time, Sibelius' Symphony No. 8 was the hottest musical property on the planet. Conductors and orchestras everywhere vied for the honor of giving its premiere. In the end, Sibelius promised the premiere to the conductor Serge Kusevitsky and the Boston Symphony Orchestra, a premiere to take place in 1931 or 1932. Hey, a performance in London under the baton of Basil Cameron was advertised to the public in 1933. We trust Maestri Kusevitsky and Cameron were not holding their breaths because Sibelius's eighth never materialized. And so began the great mystery. Did Sibelius ever really compose an eighth symphony? And if so, why didn't he release it? And if so, whatever happened to it? It's everybody's best guess that Sibelius did indeed compose an Eighth Symphony, but his fame and what must be considered a destructive degree of self-criticism got to him. He told a few close friends that, quote, if I cannot write a better symphony than my seventh, then it shall be my last, unquote. Believing his Eighth Symphony to be inferior, Sibelius refused to release it. And for what happened to it, we turn to Sibelius's wife, Aino. Quote, In the 1940s, there was a great auto de fe, meaning literally act of faith, but colloquially death by burning, at our home. My husband collected manuscripts in a laundry basket and burned them on the open fire in the dining room. Parts of the Corellia suite were destroyed. I later saw remains of the pages which had been torn out, and many other things. I did not have the strength to be present and left the room. I therefore do not know what he threw onto the fire. But after this, my husband became calmer and gradually lighter in mood." Unquote. Whether Sibelius burned the manuscript to his Symphony No. 8 during this particular exercise in self-criticism or during another. The fate of the eighth is clear. It was at some point destroyed by its creator. Sibelius lived for over 30 years after the release of his last major work in 1926, but having destroyed the eighth, there was nothing but silence. Did he believe that he was written out? Had he lost his gift? Not likely. What seems to have happened is that Sibelius lived so long that the 19th century romantic world that shaped him simply ceased to exist, particularly with the advent of World War II. Time passed him by, and his defense was to retreat into what became known as the silence from Yarvanpa, Yarvanpa being the name of the town outside of Helsinki where he lived. For that generation of music lovers that had considered Sibelius the greatest living composer, the silence was deafening. But unbeknownst to those music lovers, Sibelius's silence wasn't complete. According to his secretary, Benno Alexander Levis, and his friend and later his biographer, the musicologist and pianist Eric Werner Tvostchernah, 
Sibelius expressed his thoughts in private. Among those thoughts were his opinions of the younger generation of composers, of which he considered Bela Bartok and Dmitry Shostakovich to be the most talented. On September 18, 1957, two days before his death, Sibelius experienced a premonition of his death. According to his friend and biographer, Eric Werner Tavascherna, quote, he was returning from his customary morning walk. Exhilarated, he told his wife, Aino, that he had seen a flock of cranes approaching. There they come, the birds of my youth, he exclaimed. Suddenly, one of the birds broke away from the formation and circled once above his house, which was called Ainola. It then rejoined the flock to continue its journey." Unquote. Two days later, on the evening of September 20th, 1957, 64 years ago today, Sibelius died from a hemorrhagic stroke. Rest well, maestro. Thank you. To sample and download one or all of my many courses on subjects musical produced by The Great Courses slash The Teaching Company, please visit my website at robertgreenbergmusic.com.